please do turn there in your Bibles. I'll invite uh, Andrew to come up now and read for us. Good morning, everyone. This morning's Bible reading comes from Isaiah 50, verses 4 through to 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks, Andrew, for reading for us. Well, this morning we're into the third servant song in this section of Isaiah's prophecy. We're looking at chapters 40 to 55 of Isaiah over this term. Unfortunately, we missed covering the second song in chapter 49 last week, but I'm very grateful that Bob stepped in at short notice uh, to help while I was unwell. Um, Really encourage you to go back and listen to his message from last week. I thought it was very encouraging and quite challenging. That second servant song, which you would have looked at in your Grace Community Groups last week in chapter 49, it helps to keep building a picture of the new servant the Lord God is raising up. God will gloriously redeem his people, and the work of this super servant is critical to the success of that plan. Now, in the second half of Isaiah, there are actually four servant songs which are worth noticing each sung under this looming shadow of defeat and exile to Babylon, which took place about 600 years before Jesus was born. In the first song in chapter 42, verse 1 to 9, we learn that the super servant will succeed where Old Testament national Israel, the first servant, fails. 
And he will do that because of the Lord's spirit upon him, establishing worldwide justice and gentleness and compassion, a justice which simply and unmistakably declares that the Lord alone is God. Well, the second song in chapter 49, there we learn that the servant will come at just the right time to gather in all of those that the Lord has committed himself to in love. He will even receive the name Israel, transferring that title from the old servant to the new. And this song, the second song, also starts to introduce the theme of difficulty and suffering in the course of the servant's mission. Now, of course, Matthew, in his gospel in chapter 12, he notices the obvious. He notices that Jesus is the only one who fits the bill when it comes to who this servant might be. Jesus Christ is, in fact, the super servant that Isaiah foretold. And so now this third song, which we just read, it follows hot on the heels of the second. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll look at what it tells us about the servant of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for being a God who wants your people to know you personally and deeply. Thank you that we can know you through your word and especially through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us this morning to behold our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in the movie Spider-Man 3... Right back when Tobey Maguire was still the boy in the red and blue suit, uh, he comes up against a strange new enemy that's called a symbiote who can take over his body and make him do things we wouldn't expect of Spidey, even kill people. And so his love interest, uh, Kirsten Dunst's Mary Jane, she tries to reach out to him. She says, Peter, I'm, I'm here because I care about you. I know that you made a mistake and that you feel guilty, but I want to be there for you. Peter says, okay, I get it, thank you, but uh, I'm fine, I don't need your help. To which Mary Jane replies, everybody needs help sometimes, even Spider-Man. Now reading Isaiah chapter 50, it seems everybody needs help sometimes, even the servant of the Lord. We've just got two headings today, you'll find the outline in your order of service. You're welcome to use that to make notes and to follow along. Our picture of the Lord's super-servant is becoming clearer and clearer with each new song. And what today's song adds to the picture is a faithful and total dependence on the Lord God in the face of suffering and adversity. That's what this shows us about the servant, a total and faithful dependence on the Lord God, even in the face of suffering and adversity. Even the super-servant needs the Lord God. Now, what does the super servant need from the Lord God? Well, there are two things. And in fact, he's already received them. Firstly, it's God's word. And secondly, it's God's help in adversity. So please do have a Bible open at verse 4 of Isaiah 50, so you can follow along. We'll look first at verse 4 and 5, where the Lord God gives his servant his word. So Isaiah prophesying the voice of the servant says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. In other words, the sovereign Lord has put his word in the ears and the mouth of his servant, in his ears to sustain him, and in his mouth to sustain others. Even the super servant recognizes the necessity of daily dependence on the word of God. He builds his life, he builds his faith on the word of God. The super servant himself is a disciple. What the Lord has said is precious to him. Now, this is another way the super servant contrasts where the first servant fails. You see, they were rebellious, they did turn backwards. Old Testament Israel failed to take the Lord at his word. They failed to build their lives in faithful dependence on the Lord's promises. They failed to proclaim the Lord's truth to the world. And this is ultimately what will take them into exile. But thankfully, the Lord isn't done with them, and so he provides the super servant to do this work for them so that they can be redeemed. Just think of how much the Lord Jesus himself depended on the word of God. Even the Son of God knew the power of the word of God. In the desert with Satan in Matthew 4, Jesus' firmest defense against the devil's temptations was just to say, it is written. Whatever you might say to me, however you might tempt me, it is written. So often Jesus was tested and challenged by his opponents about what God's word actually said. And Jesus often responds to his opponents' tricky questions, these religious professionals, by simply saying, haven't you read the Bible? So Mark chapter 2, 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did? Mark chapter 12, verse 10, have you not read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And my personal favorite, when he was responding to members of an elite Jewish sect, as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. I mean, what what an insult to a Pharisee or to an expert in the Old Testament law. But the implication, of course, is that Jesus has read these things. He has read his Bible. He's taken them to heart. I really don't think we're meant to assume that Jesus arrived on earth with the Bible preloaded. In his humanity, he had to read it and learn it for himself, just like everyone else, despite being the word himself. But as he did, it took root in his heart and his mind, and so he was able to call on it when he needed it to say, it is written. Haven't you read? It was precious to him. It mattered. It had power. And of course, at the very end, his agonizing and painful words on the cross weren't so much his own words, but they come from the Old Testament Psalms. Into your hands I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's the Old Testament. But God's word wasn't just there to help and guide Jesus, the super servant. God's word was also in his mouth to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain with Moses and Elijah in Luke 9, we read that a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now, notice how closely the language of my chosen one parallels what we've already learned about the servant in Isaiah. The point is, Jesus' words are to be listened to. And so, to the weary, listen to the words that we began our service with today, Jesus' words. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Or listen to what Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Jesus knew his Bible. He knew it for himself. He heard it. He obeyed it. And he passed its life-giving truth, his life-giving word along to others. And the reason is because he is the super servant of Isaiah chapter 50. Well, that's the first thing the Lord does. The Lord gives the servant his word. Secondly, he also helps the super servant when he faces adversity. Now, the third servant song is significant because it it starts to show us for the first time, really, that the servant of the Lord will have enemies and they will make him suffer. Just reading there from, uh, from chapter 50, there will be those who seek his disgrace those who seek to humiliate him, to contend with him, even try to find him guilty. Just think of the midnight trial that Jesus faced at the high priest's house. And yes, he would be struck and spat on. Verse 6. Now, I think we must resist the temptation to speculate exactly on what the relationship was between the father and the son when he was on earth. There's just stuff there that we can't know. And I don't want to be misunderstood as if I or even the Bible is suggesting that Jesus lacked anything at any point in his life or ministry which made him less than fully God and less than the promised Messiah. However, Isaiah's super servant certainly has his humanness emphasized in a big way, more so than his godness. And so it seems to make sense that it's in Jesus' humanity that we see most clearly his dependence on the Father. So frequently we find Jesus praying. At his baptism, before the Lord himself speaks from heaven, Jesus is praying, according to Luke chapter 3. And as he is praying, a voice comes down from heaven. Could the voice have been an answer to Jesus' prayer? Luke chapter 6, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. The next few verses in Luke 6 give us a clue, perhaps, on what he was praying about, as he went on from there to choose the 12 apostles. Luke chapter 9, which I've already touched on. But eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And that prayer seems to have been the catalyst for the transfiguration. 
where Jesus was changed before the, before the three apostles, and he was suddenly standing there with Moses and Elijah, and they spoke of his departure, about which, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 31. Once more, it seems to make sense that the miracle, the encouragement and the conversation of Moses and Elijah was in answer to Jesus' prayer about what he was going to face. In Luke 11 again, Jesus is praying in a certain place. Now, I don't doubt that Jesus had much to thank his heavenly Father for, but he had no sins to confess or seek forgiveness of. A fairly large chunk of his prayers must therefore have been prayers for help. Prayers for help for himself or prayers for help for others like the disciples as he prays in John 17. Perhaps the most obvious example of this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus prays three times. He's so unsettled, he's sweating blood. And it's one of the few places in the Bible where we hear the actual words that Jesus prayed. Mark 14, 36, he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, Jesus was deeply committed to prayer, and especially to seeking God's help through prayer, to depending on God's help through prayer. And God answered by giving him the strength, the resolve to face his suffering, to face his death. However glorious the outcome would eventually be, it was still hard. And he needed God's help. We must be careful of ever thinking that Jesus was simply on autopilot from the cradle to the cross. It was a hard road. Jesus faced temptations, temptations to turn aside from the mission, to accomplish it a different way. He faced enemies, both human and supernatural. And you know, the possibility of failure, in one sense at least, was very real. He needed the Lord God's help, and he knew it. And so he sought it through prayer because he knew his Father is a God who helps. And so he could truly say, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Of course, the super servant's greatest work is to be the servant that Israel failed to be. And in this case, it's the servant's reliance on the Lord's help in word and in action, which is in view in Isaiah 50. Jesus had to seek the help of the Lord God, his Father, to save you and I. The crown and glory of this dependence is his willingness to die and have his relationship with his Father somehow severed for a time completely confident that the Lord God would raise him up from the dead and confirm him as the king, the promised king and rescuer of God's people. But that's not all the servant's dependence is for. Because in his dependence, he also teaches us how we are to depend on the help of the Lord God for ourselves. He is an example of someone who needs God's help. Now, with each of the four servant songs, we usually find the song and then a short explanation afterwards, a short summary. And here, verse 10 and 11 are the explanatory summary of the third servant song. The work and example of the servant in this song present us really with two ways to live. Verse 10 and 11. Way number one, 
Fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant. This is one and the same thing as trusting in the name of the Lord and relying on God. Verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So listening to the voice of the servant, depending on God, is one and the same thing. Like the servant, but through the servant, we listen to God's word and rely on God's help. I wonder, what place does prayer and Bible reading have in your life? Is it something you prioritize? Do you follow Jesus' example of intentional and dependent prayer and reflection on the word of God, saturation in the word of God morning by morning? Now, so many illnesses and diseases can be attributed to very predictable causes like smoking or alcohol abuse, drug abuse, overexposure to the sun and certain chemicals. In a similar way, so much doubt and sin and faithlessness can be attributed to the predictable cause of neglecting the simple habit of daily seeking God's help in his word and in prayer. I know the days I struggle most to resemble Jesus are the days I don't start by reading my Bible and praying. And that's because of verse 11, which gives us the only alternative to depending on the Lord God's help. The only other way to live well is self-sufficiency. But listen to the warning in verse 11, because self-sufficiency doesn't end well. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches... Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. In other words, trust ourselves, depend on ourselves, think we have all the answers, stand against sin by our own willpower, back ourselves, fool ourselves into believing that we can handle even one day without the Lord God's help. And yes, even Christians do this. But it all just ends in torment, in sorrow. I think it's especially hard when things do seem dark, when we've got more questions than answers, when we don't know which way is up, or when we're going through some difficulty. And of course, these are the times when we're most tempted to engineer our own shortcuts or kindle our own torches, as it were, so we can see in the darkness. How do you think Jesus felt the night before the cross? And what did he do? Well, he prayed. He waited on God. Consider how uh, David Jackman summarizes this passage. Those who listen and obey do not always walk in unbroken sunshine any more than Jesus did. Walking in the dark when we cannot see the outcome is the time to trust the word of God and rely on the God of the word. Now, there is a saying which goes like this, that God helps those who help themselves. A variation of that says God helps those who help themselves, but, uh, but God help those who get caught helping themselves. 
Now, I have to say that uh, this saying that God helps those who help themselves is utter nonsense. But it's alarming how many Christians believe that this is actually found in the Bible. So a poll by demographer George Barner in the late 1990s found that this saying was the most widely known Bible verse among adult and teen believers, despite it actually not being there. Now, the disturbing decline in biblical literacy aside, this idea actually has its roots in ancient Greece, in the Quran, and in the Deus teachings of Benjamin Franklin, more so than it does in the Bible. In fact, the message of the Bible is the opposite, that God helps those who cannot help themselves, which actually includes all of us. This is at the very core of the gospel of grace, where dead sinners are brought to life in Christ. But in his humanity, Jesus also sets a pattern of daily dependence on God's help for us. Everyone, everybody needs help sometimes, even the servant of the Lord. Jesus couldn't have achieved our salvation without a deep dependence on his Father's help. What makes us think we're any better? Jeff and Claire are being baptized today. And partly that's a way of admitting that they cannot help themselves. But they need the help the Lord God provides through his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever be ashamed of crying out to the Lord for help in your times of darkness and need. Or of simply admitting in the light of each new day, Lord, I need your help. Think of that hymn, which is so brutally honest. I need thee every hour. He is a God who helps. He's a God who delights to help his people, who knows how desperately we need his help, even if we don't actually realize it. And if we've learned anything from our time in Isaiah so far, we've learned that he is a God who comforts. He's a God who loves. He's a God who delights to make things new and can. He raised his son from the dead. He can help you. So read your Bible and pray as a daily habit, depending deeply on the Lord, just like Jesus did. I'd like to round off this morning's message by reading two short passages from the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. If you've got your Bible with you, you might like to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, and then I'll read from Hebrews chapter 4 as well. I think these verses really underline marvelously the message of this third servant song. Let's firstly read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says this. Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers, like us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help 
those who are being tempted. Finally, just two chapters over from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you so much that you are a God who helps. You've demonstrated this supremely through the life and ministry of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he not only accepted your help where we rejected it, but also he shows us how to accept your help. Father, forgive us for thinking that we've got it all together, that we can handle things on our own, that we can be self-sufficient. Lord, we need you every hour. Please help us to take hold of your word, our relationship with you in prayer, and to always be seeking your help for the path that you've marked out for us as we await Jesus' return. Help us not to be ashamed of seeking your help, but recognize that it is the only way we can truly live. And this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen.